Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, welcome to the program today. My guest today is TFN Magre. Am I saying your name right? Your you last are, name right? TFN. That's right, Magre. TFN Magre. I'll get it right eventually. Um, he is the COO of a company called Product, uh, where they are expert um, sourcing, sourcing experts, and he is fluent in Chinese and also the host of the Product Guy podcast. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, last, we had an interview back in December, you know, just about product and, and all the, you know, the things you guys do and, you know, getting products to people and businesses and in China. And, and I asked you if, you know, if there was a time we could just talk about China in general. Of course. Yeah, and, I remember. So, and I think now is like the totally appropriate time given all the, the, the lovely crazy world that we're in, in the last few months. Um, and the perspective I've had on China is probably like most Americans, I'm guessing, is that, you know, basically until meeting you guys and learning about what you do and, and the, the connections you have with China, I said, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard a positive thing about China. You know, I grew up, you know, knowing that all the cheap crap came from there. Uh, the government was corrupt, communist, and had a tight grip on their people. And that, the, you know, the media is state run, so, you know, can't really trust what you hear and see. That's the perspective I grew up with. Um, I'm 50 years old now, and I'm guessing that, that may, there may be some truth to that. I'm not really sure, but be, you know, um, and in light of the you know the, the pandemic that's happened, you know, a couple months ago, I was talking to a guy, and he said something to the effect: he said, "Serves China right to be the you know this the epicenter of this coronavirus because they've been screwing us for years." Mm -hmm. And I thought that was just one really un uninformed, you know, that or that just ignorant that he would say that, you know, it serves them right that their their people are dying because they've been screwing us. So I kind of wanted to get your perspective. Maybe you can just talk a little bit about how much, how long and how often you guys are going there and the connections you made with the, you know, the human side of it versus, you know, the faceless government and, you know, things like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Well, first of all, that's not a kind thing he said. That's actually extremely ignorant. Totally. And um, clearly doesn't get it. Real people died. Real people died. Yeah. You know, not just people without names, but actual people. And uh, people that mattered, that had families, children, fathers, mothers, sisters. And so to say that it is pretty shallow, uh, to say the least. But let me tell you a little bit about what, you know, what I do with China. So... We have a sourcing and procurement company. We work a lot with China naturally because of, of their uh, manufacturing capabilities. They're a superpower when it comes to manufacturing. There's no question about it. But we also work with Vietnam, Bangladesh, the USA, Europe, things like that. Uh, wherever goods are to be made and can be made for the best price, that's where we go. You know, I... Last year, spent three to three and a half months in China, and that was between January and October. I, uh, I didn't travel the rest of the year because you know, we were having a baby, and I haven't been this year because of the pandemic. And um, I, I have a real love and appreciation for the Chinese people that started many years ago. Well, not many, I guess. 
11 years ago when I was a missionary teaching Chinese people. And that's what I did all day, every day for two years. And so I grew to have this profound appreciation for the language and the culture, though I didn't really grasp the, the political environment in China until I actually went to China for the first time as a college student. And I was invited to speak at a conference for um, dignitaries, political officials, and college students. I got this because it was the APEC, Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Conference in Honolulu, I think in 2011 or 2012. And um, I was at the registration as a volunteer and a Chinese delegation arrived, around 225 uh, important businessmen, governors, things like that. And no one at registration spoke any Chinese. So I ended up translating for four or five hours, all check-in for every Chinese guest ambassador official that came into the conference. And by the end of it, they said, we, we, we like you. We want you to come to China. So I said, okay, that sounds awesome. And um, so I was on this internship and then China. Uh, so I, I'm on this internship. I fly to China. I get this presentation already. I'm going to speak and I get there and I arrive at my hotel and they tell me, they say, by the way, you've been uninvited from speaking. We're happy you're here but the government decided it wouldn't be wise to have a foreigner speak around other college students. And I was censored. So I flew from Bora Bora, flew about 22 hours to China, only to find out I wasn't even allowed to do the thing I, was, I came for. That you'd invite, been invited to do. That I'd been invited to do. And, and that was my first... My first... Um, contact with you know state media how the chinese party chinese communist party does things you know i'm sympathetic to it i understand it i understand why they they sometimes do the things they do and i think at the time i was so excited to be there and be around chinese people and be in beijing that it it didn't bother me as much as it does today but looking back I, you know Wow, that really happened. How long ago was that? That was eight years ago, nine, eight, nine years ago. And were the people that invited you surprised at that announcement? No, but they were very apologetic. I wasn't the only one that was censored. There were also some students from Taiwan, some people from Hong Kong that were all... Um, Whose schedules were changed, we'll say. Is that a, you know, kind of across the board type of mentality throughout the whole country? I mean, it's a massive country, but, or is it just here and there and factions and groups? And Well, I, I think this was especially the case because it was political by nature. And I was a guest of China. And so at a political conference where political ideas are shared and as a guest, you you have to be much more sensitive to the ideas that are shared. I mean, unfortunately, if it's not a Chinese idea, it's not a good idea, politically speaking, right? And so I, I don't know that I'd have the same problems. It's never happened to me again. You know, I've never had that issue. 
but I wouldn't be surprised if I went to a conference that was about some sort of political ideal, which they don't really have those in China anyways. I wouldn't be surprised if I was censored or if I was given guidelines by which I should adhere for my presentation or speech. That wouldn't surprise me. That's an interesting thing to get your head around coming from here where we just, we can say whatever we want whenever we want without any repercussions for the most part. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we don't realize what freedom of speech is until it's taken away from you. I wasn't even allowed to discuss at the round tables. You know, there was a, there was presentations, there was round tables, there was uh, research on political situations around the world. And, you know, for hours I would have to sit there and just listen. Couldn't, couldn't participate, couldn't do anything. But then afterwards, you'd have these people that would come up in private and ask. And we'd talk and we'd have an open conversation. But in public, it didn't happen. So I noticed that like, like in all the, like the interactions that you guys have with your, with your dealings with factories and companies that, you, that you're filming a lot, you know, Richie's filming a lot, is that, yeah. is that monitored or, or, or is that pretty free with you know, showing what's going on? It's pretty free. I, I don't think we've ever been in a situation where we were like, we probably shouldn't be filming this. You know, I've heard stories of people having their cameras and, and things taken, but I, I can't think of any time where we've been in an area or place where we couldn't take a photo other than, you know, customs and immigration yeah. and, and things like that. Right. Which is everywhere around the world. It's the same policy, but within China, we've never had an issue. However, we are limited on to how and when we can upload to social media. So we have to get a VPN, um, which allows us basically to access remotely different servers because for example, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, they're all blocked in China unless you have these VPNs. And these VPNs are less and less successful, meaning it's more and more difficult to uh, get access to these foreign websites. And so, you know, uploading sometimes rather difficult. Is that like just in terms of like, are there just certain times that you're allowed or is it just, is it just the, the, the traffic trying to get through? No, there's a giant firewall that blocks those websites paid for by China. Okay. Like it is illegal to go on those websites. So those VPNs sometimes allow you to get access, but you can't, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work or, the Chinese have blocked a port or an IP address or this app from working or whatever it is. And so sometimes it works great. Sometimes it, it doesn't. So in those cases, you just kind of have to wait till you leave the country to, to start uploading all your content. That's right. That's right. Or sometimes I'll upload and I'll look at it and I'll have, you know, like an Insta story that's one minute long, but part one and four will upload, but two and three won't. <laughs> and oh. so, you know, it just, it doesn't work. So it's just things that you have to be sensitive to. And, and the Chinese are, are uh, very sensitive to how they are seen and portrayed. And one of the worst things that can happen to you in Chinese culture is losing face 
being embarrassed. And so they really want to make sure that, you know, there's only good things being shared about them. And, you know, rightfully so, no one wants to be embarrassed. That's silly, right? No one wants that. But in China, it's extremely important. So, so when you're on social media, you just want to, you genuinely want to be sensitive to what you're saying and how you're presenting things. And you see a lot of businesses that do that. So recently in the news, we saw that um, many businesses were threatened by China, including Marriott, I think Fox and Roxy and Quicksilver, as well as um, some of the high fashion lines for having Taiwan and China as different places or having Hong Kong as its own uh, country when they can't be their own countries, according to China, they have to be their own, even though there may be political turmoil and they don't agree on the status each other's representing. It, it becomes very difficult to work with those where I think, and I'd have to go back and look, but I think China threatened Marriott to, to close their hotels in China if they didn't label Taiwan correctly. That's interesting. And correctly being China's interpretation of Taiwan, right? Which is what? Um, so you have to go back in time when Mao Zedong won, he conquered mainland China, but the wealthy class that used to control China left to Taiwan. That political party or group still considers themselves the rightful rulers of Taiwan, China, and Mongolia. Whereas the People's Republic of China says that Taiwan lost the wars and is under their control. However, you know, China doesn't have elected officials. Taiwan has democracy and elected officials. So it's a sensitive situation. And you'll see a lot in the news, you know, Chinese sends aircraft carrier through Taiwan Strait. And there's a lot of aggression and hostility and um, some might even say they're still at war, even though there's no gunshots right now. It's a political, geopolitical war. So what is, maybe this isn't the right question, but why, why, was, why did China care so much about little Taiwan? You know, it's um, for them, it's a sense of unifying China. They think that Chinese people should be unified and that they're not made whole from the war. Think of it this way. Think of it as the civil war is over. But Florida's still, you know, doing their own thing. They're kind of independent. And the rest of the U.S. were like, no, Florida, you know, come back into the fold. I think that's how China sees it. The People's Republic of China. Taiwan or that goes by the name of the Republic of China, they see it as we haven't lost yet. We're still holding down the fort. They're that Florida that's still holding strong. But, you know, for the mainland Chinese, they're not unified. It's not over. Got it. So in all your, your dealings with these factory owners, I assume you've developed some incredible friendships and, you know, at least a, a professional level, do they talk about the issues and the problems in the censorship as, as an issue or a problem, or is it just so normal to them that they don't, it's not even an issue? You know, it's a little bit of both. So the answer is yes, we have amazing relationships. I mean, people that 
we talk to about our kids, our families. You know, I have one person who actually talks to me about religion that's normally censored in China. We, we have the most, I, I have one factory owner, I'll give you an example. About a year and a half ago, her name's Lisa. She calls me and she says, I'm in New York. I'm extremely sick. And my, um, my travel agency charged me $250 for a hostel that doesn't even have a private bathroom. And she goes, can you help me? And, and, you know, it's at that time of desperation where you turn to the people, you know, you can trust most. And so, of course, we helped her, put her up in the great hotel, took care of her, got her a doctor, all those things. But um, we, we just have those extremely deep and meaning relationships where we, we love the people we work with. We really, really love them like brothers, sisters, business partners. Now, um, as far as discussing politics, religion, you know, things that are generally sensitive anyways, the answer is yes. Um, people want to talk about it. The question is, how do they feel about the government? And it's actually like anywhere else. There's things they really like about their party and there's things they really dislike about their party. For example, um, I was speaking to a good friend of mine and uh, he was saying his grandma was extremely wealthy and would eat lobster and steak. And then when the revolution happened, she lost everything. And they went to eating a bowl of rice, some cucumbers, you know, very, very simple food. And now they're back up from making, I think it was at a point in time, they were making like $10 a month. And now he's an extremely wealthy business owner, making a lot of money. And so there's been a great shift from absolute poverty in China to having a very large middle class and a very large wealthy class. So those that have a lot of money or are seeing the successes of working within the communist regime, and you know, profiting from business as it's been, are uh, are okay putting up with some of the things they don't like. That said, they also know that if this were a free market, they would be, make more money. They would have more opportunities. They could move money as they wanted to, and things like that. So, you know, they're all not pleased a hundred percent, but many are willing to live within it while money and times are good. I feel like if, if China hit a tough recession like the United States did in 2008, I, I think it would be very, very, very difficult for them to maintain the level of stability they have right now. So do they do a, a tax basis similar to what we do? You know, government takes, you know, percentage of whatever they make. Is that how that works? They tax a lot. They tax a tremendous amount. Domestic transactions, so B2B, within two Chinese-based companies, taxes, I believe, are about 17%. Just like a flat. If I sell you something, I have to add 17% to it. Okay. Which, in the U.S., we don't tax B2B. However, if you export, the Chinese party, the Communist Party will refund a portion of that 17% tax to you. Got it. Okay. So that's how many factories calculate their profit. So they know they pay the 17%. They know when they export it, they're going to get 13 to 14 and a half percent back. So that's going to be their profit. 
Okay. Got it. So I guess that my maybe answered my next question was that, you know, is the business climate, you know, between the two countries, you know, in jeopardy because of, you know, some of the leadership there, you know, putting a stranglehold on, on some things, but maybe it's not. Um, I, I think, I think there's a lot of ideas that are being contested by the two, by the two countries and economies. For example, intellectual property theft is a big one, right? Uh, China's being accused of stealing intellectual property, whether it be biochemicals um, or actual technology for manufacturing goods or software or whatever. I know that Boeing and Airbus accused coordinated Chinese attacks on their subcomponent manufacturers as China tries to build out their own um, airplane manufacturer. So th there's a lot of hostility when it comes to that. I think overall, both countries know that they're better off working with each other and that business is better, but there are some issues. I mean, before the trade war that Donald Trump led, I, there were imports on items from China that were taxed three to 5%. However, if that same item is sent from the USA to China, it would be taxed at 45%. Holy cow. Imported. And so the idea is, these products don't need to be inflated in cost. But if they are, it needs to be mutually, we both tax them equally at the same rate. And, and part of the reason for that, and most people don't understand, when China was developing, most of the world and the World Trade Organization wanted to help China out. So they heavily taxed imports, they suggested it, and then to help develop local economies within China right? Well, that's fine, but partnered with dumping of products, which is where you sell things for less than they're sold because of government subsidies. So you have China that's not being, or that's taxing heavily imports. Their exports are subsidized by the Chinese government so people can sell them for less than cost to manufacture. It kills industries overseas. So we saw some industries in the USA completely disappear because of that. But the Chinese saw the same with soy, where the United States, the soy farmers, sold soy for so cheap that Chinese farmers had to stop growing soy, and then they gradually jacked the prices back up. So this happens both ways. The question is, you know, how much of it should take place? How state-sponsored should it be? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the trade war cost me a lot of money personally. I think much more than 95% of the Americans. But I actually understand why it's a needed good thing. I think it's time to, um, I'm trying to think of the best word. I, I think it's time to re-level the playing field and rewrite the rules and say, okay, China, you're not, you're not poor anymore. You don't have hundreds of millions of starving people anymore. You're a big, you're a big fish. You're number two, if not number one. You need to play with the big boy rules now. And, and I think that's what the trade war is about. I think political attempts to do that 
haven't been super successful. I know President Obama wanted to try TPP that Donald Trump shot down. Um, I don't know how successful that would have been, but we know that the trade war has hurt them a little bit and that it's making them listen. So hopefully there will be a, a recalibration shortly and we, everyone can go back to, you know, business as usual. That's the hope. Playing nice in the sandbox together. Exactly. Got him. <clears throat> I wanted to just kind of shift over to, you know, the pandemic. Yeah. What, what you're hearing from your people there. Cause again, you know, all media it's worse than we know. All, all media is biased at at the very least. So, what are they what are they telling you? And then maybe talk a little bit about what you guys have been doing behind the scenes for the last couple of months. And I think we may we may be out of time at that point. But yeah, no, of course. So we uh, we started working on the pandemic, meaning supplying Chinese factories, suppliers, hospitals in January. Uh, we received urgent calls. We had heard about the outbreak, but we received urgent calls from our manufacturers saying, we need help, 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 find anything you can. So my company product, we started a global search looking for personal protective equipment in Turkey, Indonesia, Dubai, uh, Malaysia, anywhere and everywhere in the world, the United States, Mexico, Brazil. And uh, we found all this protective equipment and started to supply these Chinese uh, companies that, that desperately needed it, either A, so that they wouldn't get sick, B, to protect the hospital workers, or C, imagine if you're a welder or if you work in a cabinet shop and you don't have a mask. You know, like these are, these businesses cannot operate, much like what's happening right now in the USA. So they were desperately looking to secure product um, to help stabilize them, their businesses, and their economy. As far as uh, now, we're doing the same thing in the USA. Just on a side note, we're helping a lot of hospitals, businesses, retirement homes get the product they need at affordable prices. There's terrible, terrible price gouging out there that doesn't need to happen. Um, in full disclosure, all prices have gone up tremendously. You know, face masks that used to cost 50 cents to a dollar now sell four or $5. But you can sell them at a price that's fair and not based on market rates and not gouge uh, like people are doing at 10 to $18 a mask, which is absolutely ridiculous. And yeah. And gouging. It's, it's ridiculous. But um, what we hear coming out of China is that it's worse than people think and that they're not back to normal despite popular opinion. So um, I have a friend that actually lives in Wuhan. He's an American guy. He's from Utah. And he's been there for the last three and a half months, locked down. And he's been doing a daily vlog uh, every time he can get access to Facebook and uploading the latest and greatest and what's happening and stories from the city. And um, it, it's absolutely horrible. It's absolutely horrible. There's rumors that crematoriums are running 24 seven. Just in that area, in that province or all in that city, in that city, in that city, is a city, city, not a province, correct? It's a city. Yeah. They locked down the whole Hubei province, but Wuhan is a city. So there's also stories of 
one crematorium getting 5,000 urns delivered in one day. Wow. So, and, and you have to realize like in China, almost everyone is cremated. And so right. these aren't little crematoriums. These are large facilities. Like a factory. Meant to pro- and, and unfortunately that's the case. When there's 8 million people, you know, and you have so many deaths in a day, it's a lot of, it's a lot of bodies, right? And so, um, yeah, they're not, they're not back to normal. And even in most of China, you know, now restaurants are starting to open back up, things like that. However, you have to wear a mask when you go out. You have to sanitize your hand. You have to sanitize all your shoes, your clothes when you go out and come back in, all those things. So the virus isn't eradicated. And until it is, I, I don't think we should expect going back to normal. I also think we have to be careful because there's a, a lot of fake news and it actually irritated the product team quite a bit when people were saying, you don't need to wear masks. It's not as bad as the flu because we were getting these reports out of China and we knew that's a lot. It's worse. It's a lot worse. And so it was really, really difficult for us to, to listen to these fake news and to try to tell people you don't even understand what's happening, how bad it is, how deadly it is. So that's been kind of our work with it. Um, it's been tremendously fulfilling, you know, to have factory owners cry when they knew that we were sending them masks or to have hospitals thank us, nurses thank us. We did a giveaway not too long ago where we supplied, I think, several hundred masks to hospitals, firemen, all in the Utah, Hawaii, and um, New York areas. So to see their, their graciousness as we were able to provide these materials they desperately need was extremely fulfilling. Well, yeah, that's, and that's, you know, that's not going to be headlines, which unfortunately, you know, the good things that you're doing and, and the, the, the reality of what's happening, you know, cause we are pretty casual about it. Uh, that's probably some just American arrogance. Um, you know, it's always going to happen somewhere else and not to me, but, until it does, you know, we're, we'll probably have that attitude until we're directly affected by it. Yeah, I, I think it's important to know every single person will know someone that either got the virus or had a family member that got it and died from it. Everyone. It's like I have a cousin in France or in Wales whose husband has it. You know, I think everyone in the world, this isn't a six degrees thing. This is going to be a one or two degrees from yeah. someone having it. And I really like the way, you know, Richie said it and he got a lot of flack for it, but he said, you know, the world will be known from before the virus and after the virus. I think the policy changes, the, the way we live our day-to-day life, even though it will go back to normal, I think we'll see some, some real changes on hygiene and, uh, and how things are maintained and prepared and served and things like that. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, the new normal is going to be, who, who knows what that's going to be. You exactly. Know? It depends on how you define it. What, you know, as we get close to wrapping up, um, what am I not asking that you wouldn't want people to know about China and, you know, maybe specifically this pandemic, but just in general? Well, I'd say that, First of all, if you have an opportunity to go visit China, you should 100% go. Um, 
I love China. I go a lot every year. We take tours, we take businesses, and we've seen some of the most amazing sites, things that you just, you've never even seen in a National Geographic. And we just happened to, I'll give you an example. Richie and I, we were in um, Sichuan, China, which is where the pandas are from. And we were there, we were at the panda sanctuary, and we said, hey, Richie, let's just go to this monastery. And it was the first Buddhist monastery in that city. And we got there and these monks just greeted us and took us on this private tour of this building that was from, I think like 350 AD or something like that. And we just got completely lost in this monastery and Buddhist temple. And it was one of the most memorable days of my life. It was unbelievable how welcoming and kind and spiritual these people were. And, you know, getting lost in China is a great thing. So I highly recommend going and traveling and visiting if you can. The other thing is working with China isn't as scary as it needs to be. But if you don't know what you're doing, I, I highly recommend seeking experts out to do it for you. Um, Alibaba is a great tool. But... Really, Alibaba only wants you to take a risk of $5,000 or less. They actually say that because that's what they'll insure with their assurance. So we also recommend, you know, if you're trying to start a business and work with China, Alibaba is a good way to start, but rarely are you going to find what you're actually looking for and be able to, to build a highly scalable business through it. So Alibaba is like the homie and you're like the, Real proper real estate agent. Is that a bad example? Yeah, maybe. No, I don't think that's a bad example. I, I think that's what homie's trying to do at least, right? Um, but the, the difference is on the homie, you can buy a house for any price. On Alibaba, even though they have all prices listed, they'll only assure up to $5,000. Got it. Got it. So the, I think they're telling you something. Alibaba is willing to take a risk for you of $5,000 and ensure that. Over that, it's not really scalable. For you can ask in the mask industry, we've had countless people tell us, "I ordered masks on Alibaba; they never came." Countless. There's a reason for that. You know, there's a lot of fakes out there. There's a lot of misinformation. So, I think that's why a lot of hospitals are are happy to work with an agent like us because world guide them through new territory. I mean, if you're an, if you're a hospital procurement personnel or, you know, for a distributor, you're usually buying from your manufacturers, your distributor, your dealer, you know, the part number you want, you just buy it, you get it. That's it. This is an environment where they're being asked to go find something completely new in a place they've never been talking to someone they don't know. Right. And so it's extremely challenging. So I think we provide, um, a comforting face tone and some reassurance that it's going to be done correctly from the beginning on Alibaba. Mm, there's a right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. And I think most people don't know the difference. So just be careful. Got it. Well, man, I, I appreciate your time. I think this has been huge for me uh, at the very least, just to learn a little bit more about the reality and you know, the human side of, China that's often portrayed as this big behemoth monster. Um, so I, I appreciate you coming on. Well, and, and I'll add this. I love 
the people of China. I love the Chinese culture. I'm not a fan of the Communist Party. There's a lot I dislike about the Communist Party, but I also realize that it's their choice of government and that there was a revolution. That's what the people wanted. That's what they got. And so, you know, you learn to live with it. Are there things that I really dislike? Sure. Are there advantages to it? Absolutely. I mean, you saw how they controlled the pandemic. The Communist Party was able to shut things down. They just took control. Um, but there's also a tremendous amount of disadvantages and a lot of suffering that happens because of it. So love China, don't love the party. Gotcha. No, that's fair. It's kind of like, you know, America's great, but sometimes our government, you just want to slap them across the face. Exactly. And, and, it, and it's less the government and more the officials. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. You got it. Thanks for having me. Thank you again for listening to the Parish the Thought Show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us.